morning. Glad you're here to worship with us. That uh, little introduction, introductory video reminds me, it takes me back to almost 30 years ago when um, Cindy and I had, had met at college. We decided that we were going to uh, get married. We, we were hoping to get married. And so I went to ask her father's permission to marry her. And it's the kind of thing, everybody knows what's going to happen. I don't know if, if Woody knew, um, but at the appropriate time, everybody clears out of the den. And it's me and Mr. Woodbridge. <laughs> and so um, I had already thought through what I was going to say. I remember exactly what I said um, after I got past the shakes and the stomach and the lump in my throat and all that. I said, Mr. Woodbridge, when we go back to school... Cindy and I would like to shop for an engagement ring. But before I do that, I would like to have your permission. Silence. For what seemed like a long time. And he said, you still going to be a preacher? And I said, um, yes, sir, I am. That's not very lucrative, you know. And I said, well, no, it's not. But here's my plan. Cindy's going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to graduate, we're going to get married, then Cindy is going to finish school. While she's finishing school, I'm going to get a job at General Motors. My, my brother was an executive at General Motors, he got me a job. And so I'm going to work for that first year, then after we graduate, we're going to go to uh, graduate school. After, I, after Cindy graduates, I'm going to go to graduate school. So that's my plan. And after a little further discussion, he gave me permission. To, to marry Cindy. So we went back, started working the plan. And uh, we got married. And a month after we got married, I'd started working at General Motors in January of my last semester of college. So it was the last semester. I'm working at General Motors, the swing shift, and getting up, going to classes in the morning, and just, you know, going after it. So worked for six months. We were in the money. I mean, we were, we were making $400 a week. <laughs> okay. That was a lot back then. Our rent was 140 when we got married. So that gives you a little perspective on how much money it was. It was a lot of money. And so we get married, have the whole thing, go on the honeymoon, come back. We're, we're, we're doing good. We're settling in. We've been married a month. I lose my job. Because in 1979, the gas crunch hit. People weren't buying Cadillacs like they were prior to the gas crunch. We were making Cadillacs and the big Chevys. So I lost my job. That was my first introduction to financial reality. And I don't think it was a mistake. I think God knew exactly what he was doing. So we, we learned to live on $400 a month, not $400 a week after that. My salary went way down. <laughs> And it was a part of my training program that God had put together, Cindy and I both, because he knew we needed to learn some things. We have our plans. We, we make our plans. But Proverbs 16 says, the Lord directs our steps. He's in charge of the spinner. <laughs> He's in charge of what goes on in our lives. He, he is the one that's behind it all. The Bible has a, an amazing amount to say about money. Sixteen of the 38 parables that Jesus told were on money. 
There are more verses on money than heaven and hell combined. And uh, there, there are more verses on money than prayer, even. Now, why does God have so much to say about money? Why, why, does, he, why does he take the time to do that? Well, I believe it's, there are a couple reasons at least. I know there are more, but one of the things about God is he wants our heart. He doesn't want just our religious activity. He doesn't want us to just go through the motions and do these things that he tells us to do. He wants to connect with us at a very deep level. Money is very close to our heart. And so he has a lot to say about it because we spend a lot of time worrying about it, getting anxious and fearful and frustrated with our financial situations. We, we stress out over it. And so he's given us a lot of guidance in the area of money because he wants to get to our heart. He wants to connect with us on a very, very deep level. He wants to help us to deal with our money in a way that reduces stress and brings blessing to our lives and the lives of those around us. He wants to help calm our fears and meet our needs. And so he has a lot to say about it because it's an everyday kind of thing. Hardly a day goes by when I'm, I'm not having to think through about, you know, how to, you know, write a check for a bill or pay it online or whatever. Second reason I think that God has a lot to say about money is managing, the way we manage our money is like a sonogram of our heart. I saw a sonogram a couple of years ago they were doing on my dad's heart. My dad's, my dad was 92. His heart had been beating for 92 years and they, they did this sonogram. So I was fascinated. I was like, man, and after that I thought, that thing has been beating for 92 years, and as you look in there, you know, you could see the valves opening and closing. You could see what they were doing. You could see the blood flowing in, blood flowing out. I mean, it was amazing. That's exactly how it is with the way we manage our money. If you go online, you check your, your online statement. I was going to say check register. Some people don't actually know what a check register is anymore. I'm, I'm dating myself like the $400 a week thing. <laughs> but it's like it reads like a values biography, the way the way you handle your money. It tells you a lot about yourself. I believe this is the other reason God has so much to say about money. It's because you find out in the way that you handle your money, the way you spend your money or save your money, what's important to you, what what you really value in life, who you value, why you live, what what your purpose is. In life, so he has a lot to say about it because he he wants to get to our heart and he wants to shape our heart and our lives that will bring the the greatest amount of blessing to us as we handle it. So there's a lot of help there. The other thing about money management and it's something important to really understand as you begin to think it through and 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 as we talk about it here, digging into the scripture. Money management is a matter of wisdom. There, there are several arenas in life that are matters of wisdom. And uh, you either choose wisely or you choose folly in these areas. Something important to realize about matters of wisdom, God is very gracious. Wisdom is not. So there are principles and things that are involved in areas of wisdom, matters of wisdom, 
that you either get in line with or you hurt yourself against. Look at Proverbs 8, 20 through 21. It says, I walk in the way of righteousness. This is wisdom talking. It's personified in this passage. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Um, God loves everybody. He accepts everyone. Wisdom only loves those who love her. That's the way it works. Finances are a matter of wisdom. God is patient. He's patient. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's forgiving. But with matters of wisdom, you either live in line with the principles of wisdom or you suffer the consequences. And I believe God built these in to these areas so that as we run into fear and worry and frustration, we'll turn to him. Because remember, he wants to get our heart. He wants, he wants our heart. He wants to connect us to himself in a relationship where we learn to trust him. So that's why he says a lot about money. There's a lot of help for us in the scriptures when it comes to money. But the principles you find there, they're, they're like guardrails on a mountain road. That if you bust through the guardrail, then you have to deal with the law of gravity. And hopefully you don't have a, a long drop. But, but they're there. They, they're not forgiving. <laughs> These principles are not forgiving. Principles like you have to spend less than you make. Because if you spend more than you make, you end up in a deep hole. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That is a principle that you can't get around. It's, it's there. It's the way it is. So uh, in, in this message series, what I want to do is... Look at these principles, and we want to offer some practical tools for helping you apply those principles through the seminar. There are going to be some small group opportunities. I know that some of you have uh, asked if we're going to do another seminar uh, because you've got con- conflicting things on your schedule. Hopefully in, in the next year or so we could do that. There are going to be some opportunities for small groups that will help you get some of these practical tools that you would get in the seminar as well. If you go to the seminar, the the groups would help you to apply them. But um, we're doing this because this is a very practical aspect of life where God can really train us and grow us and help us to handle it rightfully. And as we do, there's more peace than stress that we've experienced in the past. In this message, we're going to look at some core ideas from the Bible and the way we can expect God to operate, how he is operating in the financial realm, and how we can expect him to operate as we follow him. Those of us who've chosen to follow him, he is using our money and our either lack of it or the abundance of it. He's using these things to train us and grow us and help us learn. But the first key uh, principle of money management, according to God's word, is to have a grip on the big picture. And this is the big picture. God is the owner. God is owner of everything. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is our maker. And as our maker, he has never signed the patent over. To anyone else. He has never transferred ownership. But he owns 
the world and all who live in it. Now, he's given us a choice. If you haven't yet committed your life to Christ, he gives you the choice of whether or not you're going to recognize his ownership, whether or not you're going to do things his way. And the Bible says every one of us have chosen to rebel. But as we turn around and begin to relate to God, he, he accepts us just like we are. And he's made a way for us to know him in Jesus Christ. So he is in reality the owner, but we choose whether or not we're going to accept his ownership over our lives. Um, in the scripture, you learn that God owns the silver and gold. Haggai 2. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He also owns the land. You see that in Leviticus 25:23. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. This is God's writing these these laws to the people of Israel who are about to go into the land that he's giving them. And he's explaining that you, you don't really you lease the land. You don't really own it which is actually, to the Israelites, a picture of reality. Because I don't care if you're paying a mortgage, if your mortgage is paid off or not, you're only going to be here for a little while. The, the land is going to refer back to him. It's going to, it's going to go back to his ownership anyway. So whether you have the mortgage paid off or not, God owns it. God, God's the rightful owner of the land. He also owns the animals. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. No, I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. So the first core idea is to recognize that God owns it all. Second, God is in control of what's going on. Daniel 4, 34 through 35 uh, is a is a passage that gives some instruction here. It says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the king in the Babylonian Empire, the most powerful uh, kingdom on earth at the time that this was written. And he says, at the end of that time, what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar got very big for his britches. And he was he was looking over his palace that he had built and his kingdom, and he made a statement that God took issue with. He said, all of this, is this not by my mighty power and for my glory that this has come about? God took issue with that. And so he gave a consequence to Nebuchadnezzar, which was, he, he gained a level of temporary insanity. So it says, scripture says that for a time, and this is the end of the time that he's talking about, he went out in the wild and ate grass like an ox. His hair was wet with dew and it grew long like eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So he went nuts for a time. Can you imagine? Hey, where's the king? Uh, you know, he's, he's out in the field. He's going nuts, you know. So what God did was he humbled him because he chose pride in that. God, God was showing Nebuchadnezzar a truth that Nebuchadnezzar eventually recognized. And that's what he says here. Then I praised the Most High 
Okay, I'm pretty big guy on the earth, but I've got to remember my place. I am under the hand of the Almighty God. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, at least in terms of power and authority. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? God is just. He's right. No one can question him. He does as he pleases. He is firmly in control of what's going on. He's in complete control of the things that happen on this planet and in our personal lives. The good thing about God is, out of love, he uses his power and authority to benefit those who cooperate with him. To bless those who cooperate. And many times, he blesses those who don't cooperate. Remember, he's very gracious and patient and kind, and and he waits. But he, he uses his power and authority to bless the people who choose to follow him and cooperate with him. A couple of things that God promises to do. He promises, first of all, to use everything for our good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. The Lord uses all circumstances in our lives, maybe even especially our financial circumstances, for our good. Both, both good circumstances, bad circumstances. He's using them for our benefit. He also promises that he will meet our needs. Philippians 4.19, excuse me. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, I have everything I need. It's my wants that take me through the guardrails where I have to deal with the law of gravity. My needs are met. And it's the wants that cause me Break through the boundaries. So God provides our needs. The first thing for us to do is to understand, according to the scripture, that we are stewards. God is the owner. God is in control. And we are stewards of what we supposedly own. We don't really own it. God does. First step to financial freedom is to recognize God's rightful place in our lives. A steward is a manager of what belongs to someone else. It really is a very helpful perspective to choose. And since we are stewards, God wants us to give him control. He won't take control. He will not wrestle it out of our hands. But he wants us to give him control of our lives and of our finances, of every area of our lives. Um, Jesus was, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he has a, 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 a tremendous amount of teaching there on finances and worry. In Matthew six twenty four through 34, you can read the whole passage sometimes, but this is the first thing he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what's he saying? You've got to decide. 
The word for money is actually an Aramaic word here. It's mammon. It's the God of wealth that we tend to serve. Because money can help us in so many ways. It's a good thing. So we begin to serve it. Money is the biggest competitor for God's leadership and lordship in our lives. It can do so many things for us, and it, it, it can, it, it's really a help, but it can't meet our basic needs. So the first road sign that you see if you're heading the right direction on the, the road to financial freedom, it, it, freedom is this. Settle who is going to drive the car. Who are you going to put in the driver's seat? If you put God in the driver's seat and give him control, then Jesus says you can get free from your worry and frustration and fear. Look at Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is how Jesus wraps up this part of the, the message on finances and worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things, he's been talking about how we run around, we're worried about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, you know, where we're going to live. He says, don't worry about that stuff. Put me first, put me in the driver's seat, and I am going to take care of your needs. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the, the interesting thing is God's the owner. He's in control. And good thing is he is very patient and gracious with me in the mistakes I make, and I can t- stay calm. No matter where you're at financially, you can find peace right now by giving God control. Say, God, man, I've, I've made some mistakes. I keep running into these principles that you put into place And I have blown it here. But I want you to take control, and I am going to get my life in line with your principles. You you can find peace. And you can trust God that he will take you from that point. If you let him keep driving the car, he will take you from that point, and he will unwind the knot that you've got yourself into. He will untie it and help you along the road in the right direction. A friend of mine says, there is a premise behind every promise that God gives. This is the, this is the premise. You've got to put God in the driver's seat. You've got to make him number one. He has got to, he has got to be in control. As, as you put him in control, then he is going to help you live for his purpose, and he is going to meet your needs as you go about doing that. So, that, that's the first step. That's a huge step. And you, you may not be ready to take it, but I would encourage you. Pursue God. Check him out. Get to know him. Get to the point where you can trust him because he is trustworthy. I've seen him come through over and over and over again in the financial realm. So trust him. Put him first. Walk with him. The Lord gives us a clear role in managing our finances. He expects us to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust, those who are stewards, must prove faithful. We've been given a trust, our lives, our finances. And our role is to 
figure out what our job description is and do it. (laughs) That's what you do. If you're managing a business for an owner of the business, you find out what the owner wants and how he wants you to handle things, and you faithfully do that. That's the role of a steward. That's what we do. So the owner's responsible for the results. If they tell you what to do and it doesn't turn out well, that's, that's up to them. They're, they're responsible for the results, but a steward only is responsible to follow the directions. In this case, learn God's principles for money management and do them and watch him come through. This is a major area that we get a little squeamish about. You know, we don't want to talk about money and the Bible or money in relation to God. Sort of grab your wallet. It's like you're in a third world country. I'm always, when I'm in another country, I'm always making sure my wallet's still there. <laughs> you know, and you get a little squeamish, but the fact of the matter is, this is an area where God really comes through. And he wants you to trust him. It's, it's, it's something we deal with every day that, that, if we'll choose faithfulness, we will watch God work. This, that's, that's the other thing I was going to say. The other big idea here is that God is involved in your finances and mine. He, he is involved, and here's how. First of all, he tests us with them. Luke 16, 10, and 11, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Finances are a key aspect of our training program. It's what God's trying to bring us through. He uses them to develop us. And this is the flow of life here. If you're faithful with a little bit, God gives you more. If you handle your responsibility well, then God will give you more responsibility. And it's the same in our financial area. Sometimes we dream of the financial windfall. But why would God give us a financial windfall if we aren't handling the money that we have well? Why would he do that? He's, he's not going to do that. The, this, is, this is the way. I, I'm growing some avocados in my backyard. I have a citrus tree. I have a plum tree. I have two avocado trees. And um, I haven't, I've, I've used a tremendous amount of restraint. I haven't talked about them in a long time. Um, but... I, I do have an avocado that's ripe. We're probably going to eat it this afternoon before I go on a trip, which is way more than I should have said. But these trees are young, and there are a lot of avocados on them, and they're, they're start, at one point they were, they were starting to like bend, and I thought they were going to snap, so I'm calling the guy at the nursery. Hey, you know, this is going on. What do I do? He goes, well, you're going to have to take some of the fruit off. I was like, oh. Yeah, I did. I, I'm greedy. I want all my avocados. But I knew he was right. I, they were too young to handle it. And as you're growing things and you're, you're, you're farming, you have to take that into consideration. It's growing too much. And that as God is growing us and developing us, he's not going to give you too much. And so he's, he's wanting you to be faithful with what you have before he gives you more. That's a principle that goes across life. And it, it, it applies especially in our, in our financial realm. So he's not going to give you something that's going to destroy you. So as you prove faithful with the little you have, he'll give you more. And then another thing in verse 11 that said is, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Money is a major test for leadership in church. 
life and ministry. True riches are a greater understanding of God, greater knowledge of him and how he operates in the world and people to lead and influence in ministry. And so God is using your money management, your money, your lack of it, your abundance of it, whatever. He's using it as a test to see whether he can really trust you with the stuff that matters. And so it's a very, very important thing. So God's involved in our finances. He's testing us and he wants to reward us. He rewards us with a better understanding of him and his ways. John 14:21 it says Whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. As we live his principles what happens is things click. It's like putting together a do it yourself project. You know like maybe you get a desk that comes in a in a flat box. And you're going to put this desk together and you're reading the instructions and they don't really make sense, but you're looking at the parts and you go, okay, I'm just going to start doing part A. You do part A, then you, you know, okay, what's the next step? And then as you're putting the thing together, it starts to click and you understand what the instructions are saying. That's, that's what this verse is saying, John 14, 21. It's saying that's how it is with scripture. You get into scripture, and it's as you begin to live it, it's as you obey it, that things click. And God makes more sense to you. And you learn more about him. That's when Jesus shows himself to you. God and Jesus, they reveal themselves to you as you put the principles into practice. And that's certainly true in the financial realm. You'll learn more about God and understand him better as you... Put his word into practice as you obey it. The next thing he does in rewarding us is he rewards us with personal growth. This is the good that God's using everything to do. I read Romans 8:28 earlier. This is verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to take all these things and conform us to the image of his son because that is valuable across the board in life to be like Jesus Christ it has value in all things. So God's using money to reveal and refine our character, just like that sonogram, like an x-ray. It, it, it shows us what's important to us. It shows us who we really are. It's an outside indicator of our true spiritual condition. Another reward is financial stability. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. We have a choice. We can choose to go toward life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. There are two extremes, two myths. One of them is, if I really follow God, I've got to be poor. The other extreme is, if I have enough faith, I'm going to be rich. Well, we don't go to any of those extremes, but the truth is, God wants to bless you in your life. And as you put his principles into play, you begin to experience his blessing. You begin, you begin to experience his increase. 
that could include improved financial conditions. Usually it does because you're handling the little you have better and it tends to grow over time. Not necessarily, but that's usually the case. God brings the increase as you set out to follow him. The number one issue, this is why this is the first message in this series, is settling who is in control. It's a major road marker on the way to financial freedom. You can experience peace and freedom right now by giving God control and deciding to live in line with his principles. John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So that's why I ask this question, who's going to drive your car on the road of your finances? If you put God in the driver's seat, you'll begin to experience freedom because that's the way it works. You continue in the word of God and Jesus sets you free from the bondage that you tend to get in. And so over these next few weeks and in the seminar and in some small groups, we're going to be looking at these principles. We want It's a very practical area of scripture that we can apply immediately if we so choose. So I'd like to wrap up this morning by looking at some next steps that you might want to choose. They're actually on the back of the welcome card, the card that you have uh, there. In the, on the left of that card, in the bottom section, it says next steps. What I'd like to do is build a habit of responding to God's word by doing it. Uh, that's what we aim at here at CIV. We try to look at scripture and what does that mean for our life this week? So let us know your response. Mark your response. Just put your name on the front of the card. Mark your response on the back if you have one. If you, if you'd like to take one of these next steps, let us know and drop that in the offering when it comes by. The first one is pick a principle from this message and ask God to help you apply it. Maybe God's spoken to you about something, something rang true. And you want to set out to apply that message. Another step you could take, if you'd like, is to memorize 1 Corinthians 4.2. It's required of every steward that they prove to be faithful. That would remind you of your role when you're starting to take control, when you're starting to try to be the owner, call the shots. No, that's not my role. I've got to figure out what God wants here and be faithful to do that. And then another step would be to sign up for the the seminar that's coming up May 17th. So those are some things that you could choose to do and let us know about. And we would love to help any way that we can. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture. I am so grateful that you are a loving, kind, and gracious God who shows us reality that we either line up with, or we hurt ourselves against. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the energy and the humility to line up with life and things the way that you've put them together. And I pray that you'd help us as we we have in our heart what we want to do in response to this message. I pray that, God, you would give us the strength and the energy and the perspective that we need to do it. We ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.